We good? Yes. Catching up with an old friend. So, chattering in the back there. So we are uh, doing a series on love. That's a good one, right? Yeah. Come on. All the ladies said, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kelly, this is her last week here, so we want to pray for her. Okay? All y'all know her? Anybody know her? She's, you, you got a job in Missouri, right? In Missouri, she's, they call it, I'm just teasing, Missouri. But you're um, going to be coaching basketball, right? Yeah. She was coaching at the U, but she got a, another job out in the Midwest. So come up, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. So if you guys just stretch your hands towards her, we just want to bless her. All right? Father, we're so grateful for her, Lord. We just honor her. Lord, we thank you for the time that she's spent with us and just the joy that she's brought us and everything that she's added to us and everything that she's received from this church. Lord, we just want to release your anointing to her. We want to bless her. Lord, we want to just call out favor. Wherever she goes, she's going to create a tremendous amount of influence. Lord, as you send her to Missouri, Father, that she's going to just impact uh, everyone she comes in contact with. Lord, that you would provide every step of the way for her, uh, provide a home, a church, God, um, uh, the provision, let everything go well with her job, an easy and smooth transition, let everything go well with her, God, and let her have favor. And Lord, just begin to open her up to the higher things that you have for her and begin to just call her higher and, and just show her the steps that she's to take. And Father, I just thank you for that provision. I thank you for that church home. I thank you for the easy transition. I thank you for favor in the workplace. And I just thank you for favor with her emotionally, Lord, that she would be stable, Lord, that she would be secure, that she would be solid in you and she would just continue to grow and become the daughter that you, she already is in the spirit. And Lord, we just bless her again. We honor her and we thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. There's only one person who ever accomplished everything before he died. You know what the sad part is? Is that we're all going to die with unfinished business. Jesus is the only one who, who actually could say, it is finished. Right? He's the only one who actually accomplished everything that he uh, set out to do. In John chapter 4, it says, there was only, uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus says, I must finish the work that God gave me to do. So he came here on a mission from the Father to do a job. And he says, knowing that all was completed, John 19, and that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And after Jesus was given a drink, he cried out. The Bible literally says he shouted, it is finished. I want you to say this word with me, tetelestai. Okay, when we do it better than that, tetelestai. That is the shout heard round the world. And at, and at this, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So one of our, um, one of our poets, uh, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, anybody ever heard of him? Yeah, a few of you, all right? He wrote a, he wrote a poem about uh, the American Revolution uh, was something that took place uh, in our country. It's how our country was founded. And what our nation did was it broke away from tyranny. And it caused, it was an uprising, and it cost us two, a couple of generations of time to get free from the tyrannical oppression that we were under because of the English, right, the British Empire. And, but the people uh, coming out of a, an awakening, coming out of a revival, saw a better future and saw a better world, and were willing to sacrifice for that. And Waldo Emerson, uh, the, 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 the battle or the, the war really kind of went into full swing at a bridge called Lexington in, near Boston. And he wrote a poem about it. And he says this, by the bridge, by the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag of April's breeze unfurled. Here the once embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. That was the shout, the shot that was heard round the world. But Jesus gave a shout that was heard round the world. And if you're aware of that, here's a poem from a person unknown. It says, on a cross that silhouetted the sky, the Savior's body hung exposed. Kind of channeling uh, Emerson here. Here love's sacrifice in final moments hung and gave the shout that was heard round the world. It's a shout heard round the world. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he goes, I'm thirsty. People go, why was he thirsty? Well, not only was he dehydrated, but he wanted water because he had something to say. And right after he takes the drink, he says, it is finished. Right? He, wanted, he didn't want any encumberments on his throat because he wanted to declare it is finished. And when people heard those shouts or they heard him shout that, the Pharisees probably had an opinion. The Pharisees said, our distraction is finished. 
Yep, you got that right. Our distraction's over. It's finished. Pilate said, my political problem is finished because Jesus was a massive political problem for Pilate. The disciples were probably hanging their head going, our journey is finished. But the story here is, is that Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. There's a big difference. They found ancient papyrus um, uh, when they do excavations of the Middle East because the Greek culture was everywhere and, and uh, they, they kept records. And, and no matter where they go, they, they go and they look and they, find, they, they found these um, debt certificates. And they find debt certificates with the word tetelestai written over them. And what it means is the debt is completed. The debt is finished. The debt is fulfilled. Don't you wish you got that to happen in your mortgage tomorrow morning? You wake up and it says, you get a letter, it says, Tetelestai, it's all done, it's finished. So what exactly did Jesus finish? If he didn't finish the political problem, if he didn't finish the journey, if he didn't finish the distractions, what exactly did Jesus, what did he, what did he finish? This is a good question, right? This is something that we need to understand as Christians. We need to understand what Jesus actually did and what he actually accomplished. The first thing he did is he, he fulfilled the promise of the Father, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. God, in this moment, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve had fell. They'd fallen. They, they rejected God. They wanted to be their own God. They didn't need him. They felt like they could do it their own way. And the separation happened. And Adam goes, it was the woman. And the woman goes, it was the serpent. So everybody blames everybody else and didn't want to take personal responsibility for the action. And the Lord makes a promise and he says, I'm not going to leave this situation the way that it is. I'm not just going to leave it here. I'm going to bring forth from the seed of the woman, not the seed of man, from the seed of the woman, I'm going to bring forth someone who will crush the head of the one who helped make this happen. So Jesus on the cross was bruising, crushing the serpent's head. No one takes his life. He says, I give it down. Jesus isn't a victim. I mean, most of our religious iconology, particularly in Catholicism, I mean, we, we, we portray Jesus as, as helpless and pathetic. He's either a helpless baby in the, in the manger or he's dying pathetically on a cross. He's not a helpless baby on a manger and he's not, ha he's not pathetic on a cross. He's risen and he's victorious and he's powerful and he's overcoming he intentionally makes himself vulnerable. Jesus, at no moment in his life was he ever a victim. He was always a victor. He chose humility to come as we are, to be born of a baby, as a baby. He chose to give his life away on the cross. And even when he's on the cross, he's, he's interceding, he's praying, he's making declarations, he's delegating authority. <laughs> he's interceding, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's delegating. He's telling John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your new son. Take care of her. He's delegating. Okay? And he's making a declaration. It is finished. Jesus wasn't helpless and he wasn't victimized. We have to be clear in that. No one takes my life. I give it away. This is why he was born. Jesus was born to die. The four most important things in the New Testament is the birth of Jesus, the, the life of Christ, the resurrection or excuse me, the, 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 the birth, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Those four things are the most important things to understand and to participate in. To understand that he was born. Why was he born? How was he born? Under what circumstances was he born? Why did he come? He was crucified. What did he do? Why was he crucified? What was this all about? He rose from the grave. Why did he rise? For what purpose did he rise? What, does the, what are the implications of his resurrection? And then this coming of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? What does that mean? How do we interact with this? What, what are the implications of the Holy Spirit to us? These are the things that transform the life of the believer. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Aren't you glad? Come on. Luke 24, Luke, Jesus said, this is what I told you while I was with you. That everything must be fulfilled, what is written about me in the law of Moses. Jesus is like, this is no mystery. I was born to die. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written, that Christ must suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness will be preached in his name to all ethnos, to all people, to all nations. He said, this is why I came. I came to die. 
All, pro- all of God's promises have been fulfilled in him. This is why we say amen and give glory to Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. So the first thing he did is he fulfilled the promise of the Father. The Father made a promise. God is the promise keeper. I don't know if you're aware of that. The Bible says the one who is promised is faithful. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? Have I not purposed it in my heart? Will I not bring it to pass? If God speaks something through his word or he speaks something over your life or into your life, he will keep it. He will fulfill it. Many of you, you wonder why all the circumstances are shifting in your life because God is trying to keep his word to you. He's promised to do something with you. And so in order for him to do something with your life, he has to first take it apart. Jesus doesn't work with pre-existing conditions. He dismantles them. He takes everything apart. He roots out, pulls down, then he builds and plants. Our problem is, is we don't like that. It makes us vulnerable, makes us insecure, makes us unstable. But that is exactly how he works. He takes you apart. He makes you comfortably uncomfortable. Intentionally makes you uncomfortable. Throws everything up in the air confronts you with your mindset, your attitudes, your belief systems, everything that is an impediment to what he told you he was going to do. If he told you he was going to do something, you can rest assured he will do what he told you he's going to do. The, the biggest, but the biggest barrier between him doing what he said is you. You are the biggest problem. It was the same thing we see in, the, in Israel. God said, how long will you resist the will of the Spirit? How long? I stretch out my hand all the day to a stiff-necked people, hard in their hearts, stiff-necked and stubborn, refusing to follow simple instructions. How long? Jesus lamented and he said, you Israel who kill the prophets, I send the prophetic to you and you destroy it every chance you get. You kill the word every chance you get. You resist the word every chance you get. We got a lot of, you know, we can continue going on as we are as believers, but we cannot blame God. We cannot blame God. Don't blame God. The only one that's, God is working on your behalf actively behind the scenes to fulfill his purpose. Your your, your deal is to partner with it. We have have misunderstandings. We think Jesus is going to do it all. Not without you, he's not. His promise is sure, but lots of people die with promises unfulfilled. Whole generation in Israel died with promises unfulfilled. Were they promised? Yep. Did they fulfill them? Nope. Why? Because they refused to partner. Was it not God's intention to give it to them? It was God's full intention to give it to them. But they didn't receive it because they themselves would not partner with it. Jesus is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. Second thing he did is he satisfied heaven's justice. Heaven's justice was satisfied. There are laws. God created everything with order and with laws. The chaotic part of our nature doesn't really enjoy that, right? But everything's created with order and law. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. It doesn't change. It doesn't go from the north to the south. It's created with an order and a system. So we have laws for everything. We have natural laws, okay? We have laws of physics. We have laws of math, laws of science. We have biological laws. There are also moral and spiritual laws. And guess what? We don't get to make up the moral and the spiritual laws. We think we do. We think we can make up all the laws. We think we can determine morality. We think we can determine what's spiritual, if there is any spiritual or if there's anything to this at all. We think we have this right to do that. We have none of this right. I mean, we, we we are subject to the laws and the governing laws that have been established. You're subject to the law of gravity. You're subject to the law of thermodynamics. You're getting older. You can't stop it. We're degrading. We can't stop it. We can prolong it, but we can't stop it. That's a law. We have no power over that. I wish we could dictate that law, but we can't. Right? We can't dictate the law of gravity. I'd love to fly. Anybody there want to fly? Want to do a Superman, you know? But I can't. I'm bound by that law. And there are moral laws and there are spiritual laws. And when laws are violated, there are consequences. Adam violated the law, the moral and the spiritual law. Adam was created by God. Moral means what is right. It is called, it's where we get one of the words that come out of moral is the word righteousness. The word righteousness is what is right to God, not what is right to you, not what is right to the government, not what is right to a society or to a people group. Now, all of that is irrelevant. 
The only answer that matters is what is right to the Lord. That's the issue. And Adam was created in what is right to God. The, what is, what, the creation, the prospect of being right to God was Adam was created in relationship with the Lord, by him, for him. He was created in communion, sons and daughters, to be in fellowship, in communion, partaking of their father's heart, partaking of their father's nature, and going and creating the culture within the world, the kingdom culture within the world. That was why Adam was created. That was what was right to God. Jesus says, look, I'm creating you for me, and everything else I create is for you. All of creation was given to us. We are the possession that the Lord requires. We are what he wants. You ever feel unwanted? You should never feel that way. Jesus wants you on your worst day. Jesus wants you warts and all. <laughs> he wants you if you're dysfunctional. He wants you. We are made for him, by him, and everything else he created was for us. Adam was created last. God didn't create Adam on the first day and go, great, you're here, let's get to work. There's a rake over there. There's a bulldozer. Let's start moving this stuff around. He didn't need Adam's help. He didn't want Adam's help because it wasn't Adam. That wasn't why Adam was created. Adam was created to receive all of the rest of creation. And Adam was created to be a creator within the creation. Just like his father and Eve as well. Adam was free to choose, but he was also free to accept the consequences of the choice. And Adam's choice was to break the moral law, break the law that was right to God, that break the relationship with God and go his own way. And as a, as a result of that decision, separation came into human existence. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Separation is on every level. We are separated on every level, separated from the identity of God, separated from our own personal identity, separated in our relationships. We can't make those work. Anybody want to testify, right? <laughs> we, don't know how to, we don't know how to relate to ourselves. We don't know how to relate to others. We don't know how to relate to our spouses. We don't know how to relate to our kids. We don't know how to relate to our world. We don't know how to relate. We, we have a relationship problem. We have good days, we have bad days, but we don't have, we don't have this string of victorious things. I've been married 30 years, okay? I understand functionally dysfunctional. I understand relationships. It's not, you know, we're living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. I love my wife, absolutely. We're committed. Yeah, I'm more committed, yeah, I'm more committed to staying than I am to leaving. That's for sure, right? That's the issue, but there's nothing perfect. The grass is always greener. No, it's not. You got to mow that lawn too. <laughs> I like the lawn over there. Yeah, you got you to cut that too. So, I mean, what's the deal, bro? You got, you know, no matter what you do, it's there. Lost on every level. We're lost to our purpose. We're lost to our destiny. Lost to the consciousness of God. Lost to the spirit. I mean, you see it everywhere. Everybody just making it up as they go along. Because we're lost separated on every level and it's only in Christ that we even have the potential to come back into unity we think that Jesus is a magic bullet we receive Jesus and all the problems are solved anybody want to testify on that no yeah I didn't think so Jesus is not the potential for all of the problems is granted to you but your problems are not solved the minute you come to Christ Authority is given to you. New life is given to you. Destiny is given to you. Repositioning is given to you. But you have to live out from that. If you don't live out from that, nothing changes. You have an identity in Christ, and you must live forth from that identity. If you keep living like you were uh, before you came to Jesus, nothing's going to change. You have to now embrace who you are in the spirit and live forth from, a, as the, as from the concept of a son and a daughter. That's who you are. You have to embrace that and live fully from it. There's no such thing as part-time believers, Christian. It's not part-time. We don't budget this and put this on a calendar to put it in your day planner and show up on Sunday and, woo, I worship God, then I go back out and do my thing. It doesn't, it doesn't work. We can't compartmentalize. We don't serve a religion. It's a relationship. And Christianity, the gospel, the kingdom is a lifestyle. It is a kingdom lifestyle. So we teach you, I try to teach you and try to model for you here and try to give you this understanding that all of our, our faith should be easily translatable into every arena of our life. Religious components shouldn't exist, right? I, I, I cringe at religion. 
I didn't want anything to do with religion. I don't know about you. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. So it is. Upside down world, love, passion. He directly confronted the religious leaders of his day. He had his harshest words for them. He couldn't stand it. You, you, you consume a camel and you strain out a gnat. You go and find a convert and you laden them down with so many legal requirements that they can't even bear them. People are under guilt, shame, conviction, constantly being threatened. The rabbis would constantly threaten them. So they always had to be moral and they always had to be com complicit to what the rabbis would say because they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. Religious controls that were placed on people. Jesus had wanted nothing to do with it. Nothing. They were to honor God. They were to worship God. They were to assemble. They were to follow. They were to be obedient. All of those things were true, but not under constraint. They were to do it out of love because they understood the love dynamic. They understood the love dynamic that God, Jesus came to give them or that God intended for them. The love of Christ compels us. I don't know what constrains you. I'm bound by love. <laughs> he loves me. It is my honor to serve him. He's given everything for me. Can I offer him anything less? <laughs> we need not only to be restored, and when we come back to Jesus, we're restored back into that relationship, but we're also given the potential to transform in every way. Every other arena of our life is given the opportunity to transform. You can be reunited with your destiny through Christ. You will not be without Jesus. You can learn how to function within dysfunctional relationships in Christ. You say, well, can't your relationships be? No, because we're perfect people. There's no imperfect people. There's no, there's no perfection. But you can learn how to function functionally even in dysfunction. You can understand, come on, you can understand how to, wor how to work within the dynamic of the spirit. You can understand what is truth and what is a lie. All of these things are, can be reconciled in Christ. They need to be. We think receiving Jesus is it, man. I see it all the time. All the time. I hear it all the time. All the time. I'm like, what, what are you teaching these people? <laughs> One of my favorite verses, and I quoted it to myself for many, many years, so it'll help me again if to quote it today. Jesus, John 3, 3, said, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what does it mean to be born again? Jesus is like, born of the water and born of the spirit. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Crawl back in my mother's womb? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Religious arrogance, stupidity. Operating on natural planes when we're called to live from a supernatural world. Operating according to a carnal mind when we're called to live from the mind of Christ. Jesus looks at him and says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? I love that. That was a big, I, I, what I did, I take that verse, I humble myself. I said, I don't want to teach anybody anything that you don't want me to teach. So I need you to show me what you want. Because I don't want to stand before him and the Lord going, Kevin, were you a teacher of my people and you didn't understand this? You were, you were influencing people and you didn't teach them these things? You were belligerent, you were arrogant, you were obscene with, with what you believed? You, you valued your ego over what I wanted? Oh, that is all across the board in the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. All across the board. <laughs> I go to a pastor's gathering. There's like 90 pastors. I'm meeting a bunch of, I know a bunch of guys in the room. I'm talking to a few of them. And then there's always that, there's always that group that's always in pastor mode. Oh, bless God. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Oh, hey, how are you? Oh, that's so wonderful. We're just praying and we're just believing God. <laughs> I mean, are you this way 24-7? It's like, it's like uh, Brian Williams in Anchorman mode. You guys know who Brian Williams is? Yeah, like whenever, every time he talks, he's like, he's talking to the reading the news. Hi, I'm Brian Williams. Glad to meet you. I mean, we're, I mean we, we are like, we, are, we create personifications and we embody religion. And it doesn't, the, the kingdom is, doesn't come forth from that. It comes forth from love and it comes forth from relationship. So Jesus he fulfilled, the, the, he fulfilled what the law required. Romans 8, 34. You want 8, 3 through 4. You want the emancipation proclamation of your faith? Romans chapter 8 is the declaration of your freedom. The law of Moses could not save you because of our sinful nature. In other words, the law required work. 
And so what the law was given for was to show us that we can't do it. We can't do it. We think we got to keep the Ten Commandments. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Love the Lord your God with all your whole soul, mind, and strength. Have no idols before him, not one. Honor nothing higher than him. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. <laughs> Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you. Do not blaspheme, son of a... Anyway, don't, do not blaspheme. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. On down the list, we can't keep the Ten Commandments. What the Bible tells us is that the law is a schoolmaster. The law was given to teach you that you're a sinner. Romans tells us that I would not, and Paul says, I would not known that sin existed if it wasn't for the law. The law showed me that I'm sinful. Galatians says it's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Psalm says the law of God shuts the mouth. There will be no boasting by anyone. No one can claim righteousness because the law of God shuts your mouth. Science. It shows us that we cannot. And what it's supposed to do is bring us to a point of desperation and say, what shall we do? Jesus said it to his disciples. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're not getting in. And they freaked out. They're like, what? Who can be saved? These guys are like, they're like this all the time. How, how and he, Jesus says their religion is ceremonial. Their religion is outward. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Outwardly looking glorious. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Spirit-filled people going to religious churches. That's a big problem for me. Let's tell you my problems. I don't think I'll get into therapy. A lot of you, you're born of the Spirit, but people want to go to these religious churches for some reason. They go, you know the Holy Spirit, but you go to a church that has no spirit at all. Because you like the pretenses. You like the suits. You like the ties. You like the order. You like the blessed God, brother. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Jeremiah 7 stands at the temple. Do not trust in lying vanities. Don't show up looking good. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Oh, you look great. Smelling good. I don't care how much Gucci you put on religion. It's still religion. And you are fraudulent. Spirit-filled believers that go to non-spirit-filled churches, your faith is fraudulent. I didn't say your salvation was, but your faith certainly is. How can you compromise, having foretasted of the kingdom to come, how can you compromise yourself and sit in a church that doesn't believe in healing? How, do, how can you do that and, and still look at yourself in the mirror? That just amazes me. Well, they got fish tanks, Pastor. They got vibrating recliners in the front row. Hallelujah. <laughs> My kid came home with a pinwheel that Sunday. It was glorious. American Christianity, man, we have to wake up. We're culturalized, culturalized, culturalized. We, we, we are to be culturalized. We are not of this world. We are of the kingdom culture. We are to draw from his world. We are to receive from his world. We're to live from his world, not this one. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We draw from his world into this one. Our substance is of another world. Jesus said, I have food to eat of that you know not of. My kingdom is of another world. My dominion, my relationship, my authority does not come from this realm, nor does yours. We are world-changing sons and daughters called to bring transformation to our generation. We are called, and there needs to be an uprising. There needs to be a revolution and a reformation within the church itself because we are gloriously failing. Gloriously. We are so amused and so inundated and so infatuated with entertainment. Oh my gosh. I mean, come for the teaching of the word. Nah. I'm going where they got a Ferrari on the stage, Pastor. I told you, I saw a thing on Easter, a guy had a trapeze show. No lie, trapeze show. Trapeze show. I'm all, like I said, I'm all, into, I'm all into entertainment value. I love it. I was like, like, I'd love it if some like Cirque du Soleil people were like flying over my head while I talked. That would be amazing. 
Know what I mean? If I had a Formula One car right there, I'd love that too. That would be cool. But if we compromise substance for the, for the sake of style, we are classically failing. Classically failing. Jesus died for that. The church needs to do what Cirque du Soleil cannot do. The church needs to do what the Kiwanis Club cannot do. We need to do what no one else can do, and that's bring the kingdom. Nobody else is bringing the kingdom. We're the only ones that can, and we sell our birthright for pots of meat. It's the spirit. <laughs> you preach it. New joy coming at you right, coming at you live. It's the spirit of Esau. Spirit of Esau. <laughs> Selling what is ours by a right of inheritance for pots of meat, the satisfaction of the flesh. We talk about doing it for you. Well, we'll all just do it for you. It's not the gospel. Christian, you're called to participate in the gospel. Every part of your body has a function, does it not? And we are called the what of Christ? The so every one of you has a function within the church community itself, within the greater world. So we are a, corporately, we are a body, and then communally, we go as a body into the world, right? So every part of your body has a function. Anybody, everybody, anybody ever remember the statement when the doctors used to say, you don't need your tonsils? Anybody remember that? They just yank your tonsils out. Oh, we don't know why they're there. We just take them out. Then they start taking out the gallbladder. Yeah, we don't know why that's out there either. And then they come to find out, well, the tonsils actually have a function. Oh, wow, we shouldn't have taken out the gallbladder. That actually, that's actually there for a reason. There's no parts of the body that are not functional. And we create churches again. I'm telling you, we have to have the right mindset. Say, so you're being critical. I'm not being critical. You should understand something. I'm trying to reframe your thinking away from what is common and into what God would have you to think as. We have to change the paradigm from which we're thinking from. We think from these terms. We think, oh, well, we just come to the church and they just do everything for us. Just do everything. From we usher you in, sit you in the seat, interview you as you go, survey you. Were you comfortable this morning? How was the offense level of my teaching? I'm trying to keep it below a four. No, that's it. In the early days of the American church, it was about Conviction. People came to church and said, convict me so that I can form into Christ. Call me out so that I can find where I need to transform. Now it's comfort. Don't make anybody uncomfortable ever at all. At all. <laughs> I was talking to a pastor one time. I was telling him something. I used the word sin. He goes, hold it right there. Hold it right there. It's like if you were in my church, I'd have to edit that. I go, edit what? He goes, when you said the word sin, we'd have to edit that. Edit the word sin? <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, this is the world I'm in. And this is what I'm seeing. And this is what's happening. I told my wife, I said, the problem isn't what, the problem in the United States and in the world itself is not what's coming out of Washington. It's what's coming out of the seminaries. That's the problem. We are literally undermining the moral fabric of our country, the spiritual fabric of our country. That's why we have amoralism, because the church has waxed silence for the last 30 years. Dumb dogs that do not bark, mute, foolish, won't call out anything because we're afraid to be hated. Jesus said, be wary when all men speak good of you. In other words, there's a problem when everybody's speaking well of you. The church loses its savor. What is it? Good for nothing. And what are we? Trampled underfoot. That's what we are today. Long as you're entertaining, woo, TMZ, E, the entertainment channel. We love those kind of churches. Celebrate. Celebrate. Is that what Jesus has called us to be? Can you find that in the gospel? You cannot find that in the Bible. You can't find it. It's, there should be a celebration service. I understand. We should celebrate. But that is the main thing of everything. We center the entire thing on that. That is the substance that we present. And it's wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> I was watching the Avengers. Captain America Winter Soldier yesterday because they're doing like an Avengers marathon on TV, you know, because I guess the new movie's out. Captain America said... He said, if I'm the only one that's willing to die for freedom, then so be it. 
but I don't believe I'm the only one. <laughs> I'll die on this hill. I will, I will proclaim the kingdom, and I will proclaim the gospel, and I will say this is what is true. This is what is true. This is what our Father wants. Our job is to give Jesus what he wants. We don't give Jesus what he wants. We give everybody else what they want. That's our problem. Our problem is that we get before the Lord and go, Lord, what do you want? And the Lord goes, I want repentance. I want prayer. I want meaningful worship. I want to go away with the vanities. Take away your vanities. That's what he told Israel. Take these vanities away from me and give me your hearts. Take away your pretenses, treating me like I'm your buddy. I'm your father. And if I'm your father, honor me. Oh. Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has lied to you? <laughs> who told you that? Paul is saying. Before your very eyes, Christ was portrayed and crucified. crucified. Everybody say this with me. This is what Paul says. He says, I have only one question for you. <laughs> Having begun in the spirit, do you, and, and did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing in what you heard? Is it by faith that you received the spirit? And now are you so foolish to not know that now that you have the spirit, that you can now do anything in the flesh? Paul planted this church. And he had Judaizers coming in. And Judaizers were making them religious. And then he had Gnostics coming in. And the Gnostics were making them cultural. And so you have a church being divided down these two lines. And this was the story of all the New Testament churches. And that's why Paul is so direct. Read the letters that he wrote to the churches. Read what he says. The majority, almost all the letters except one, are letters of correction. Calling them out for what they're doing. Calling them out for the misguidance that they have. Reframing them into a way of thinking because they've lost their way. That's all of the epistles to the New Testament churches. They weren't going, you guys need to have a celebration service. I really, you know, I came to your Easter service and I didn't see the trapeze show that I saw last year. That's not what he's saying. And he tells them, having begun in the spirit, can you do anything in the flesh? Are you capable of doing anything in, this, in, this, in the flesh? He planted this church. He's got influences coming in, religious influence and cultural influences, and it's pulling the church apart. And, church planted the, and Paul planted this church, and he's telling them, you are losing your way. You are losing your way. He said the same thing to Ephesus. You are, read the seven letters to the seven churches. Again, is it... It's not, it's, not, it's not like, you know, while wow, you guys are just, man, I just, Kevin, that, I just really admired your Gucci this morning. Your pastor was so well-dressed, and I just, I, I just you know, the, the fluidness and the prose by which you quoted the scripture, the worship experience was just amazing. No, what he was calling them out on is stop tolerating this cultural stuff that's going on within you. You're prostituting me unto a, into something that I am not. Nicoleo, you tolerate the Nicoleos, which is the dominance. That was control, authority, religion, and the same thing. And you tolerate Jezebel. Jezebel was the cultural influence within the church. Prostitution, the worship of God mixed with idols. Those are the corrections. Same correction in the book of Revelation is the same correction that Paul had. Same thing. These are always the dividing lines within the church. And always the truth is always in the heart of God. And so we're always battling this understanding where there's, uh, we, we, have a, we, have, we, have to, we have to deal with the religious spirit. That always has to be confronted. And we have to deal with the cultural spirit. And so you know, when you push up against that, they push back. Okay? But, but they have to be called out. We have to call out and say, is this, is this what God intended? Is this what God intended? Is the legalism what God intended? No. Then what did he intend? Is the cultural mixture what God intended? No. Then what did God intend? Those are always the warring influences within the church itself. And what happens is, is generations capitulate one to the other. We capitulate to the cultural pressures. And we, and we bring Jezebel into the church. And we prostitute Jesus. We tolerate things that are intolerable. It's not an issue of sin. Sin, sin. People, everybody's got sin. But we call water, we call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. We actually condone 
There's an, not an issue of sin. With sin, the issue is when you condone it. Like sin, yeah, okay, dude, I had a really bad night or I'm doing all this and I'm just like, okay, you're sinful. Okay, repent. Deal with the issues. Deal with the driving forces behind the sin. That, that's, that's, that's the gospel, right? But what we do is go, that's okay. It's just, that's okay. It's fine. You just love Jesus and everything's going to work out for you. We don't confront the issues that are going on in people's lives. We don't confront greed, selfishness, self-indulgence, licentiousness. We don't confront witchcraft. There are pastors who believe smoking pot is okay. It's legal. Comes from the earth. You read your Bible? Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? The word for witchcraft is the word pharmakia. Pharmakia. It's where we get drugs from. We get the word pharmacy from the root word of the word witchcraft. Witchcraft. <laughs> you guys want to hear a story? Yeah? Okay. Make you smile or make you or freak you out or I'm going to make you smile. I was dealing with a person one time manifesting a devil. Then we're doing, I'm doing a Bible study. I'm here. and I'm not, not in this room. It was in another building. Doing the Bible study. Uh, a couple people get up, go to the bathroom. One person comes back in the room. It's Pastor Kevin, so-and-so is manifesting in the children's room. I'm like, what? And so I get up, I close it, I'm walking to bed, I walk into the kids' room, full-on manifestation, have to deal with it. Spirit tells me what it is. I said, what makes it tell me what it is? It tells me it's witchcraft. As soon as it told me it was witchcraft, the whole room smelled like pot. The whole room smelled like bud. The whole room. Oof. They manifest. Spirits manifest. Okay. They manifest. Just like when you, I was in a church one time, we were worshiping the Lord, and this one guy goes, man, there's this, there's this area over here that when the worship is really flowing, he said, it starts smelling like roses. And Sherry was there with me, and the worship was just moving and surrounding, and all of a sudden we could, she's like, you smell those, you smell that? I'm like, wow, yeah. Spirits manifest. They create atmospheres, right? So Holy Spirit, roses, the rose of Sharon, I don't know, pick one, lily of the valley, right? Spike nerd. Frankincense, he, he manifests, you smell aromas in the spirit, vanilla, cinnamon. If that's true in the spirit, then the devil's the same thing, manifests the whole thing, whole room smells like pot, whole room. So, you know, nobody can tell me, and not only, not only do I know it biblically, I know it's experientially. It's true, we call good evil and evil good. Well, <laughs> Jezebel, ladies and gentlemen, it is, what Jezebel did is she mixed the worship of, of Yahweh with idols. Oh, no, she condemned the prophets of God. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Yeah, that's part of it. But if you really look at what she did, she mixed, it, was, it was a spirit of mixture. It was pulling the people of God onto another, another form of worship, another way away from the truth and heart. So, again, it's the Nicolaos and it's the spirit of Jezebel. Those are the opposing forces in every generation. And pastors have to, and Christians have to refuse to capitulate. What does it look like? It looks like the heart of God. That's all it is. It's the heart of God. Jesus is in the love relationship. He's tolerant of sin, but he's not condoning of sin. There's a huge difference, right? There's a huge difference between what he, what he gives us grace for or what he, what he understands us in being in the condition that we are he understands that, and he's gracious and loving and kind, but he never condones it. He never says that's okay, ever. He paid the debt. Man, I don't know who that's for, but that, maybe that was my own, but I don't feel like that was coming out of me. That was being pulled out of me. I, don't, I didn't feel like I needed therapy this morning. To, you know. He paid the debt. Wages are what you earn, a gift is what you receive. We owed a debt, Colossians 2.14, because of God's broken laws. Jesus paid the debt. The debt listed all the laws we failed to follow, but God forgave our debt and he canceled our debt by nailing it to the cross. Your debt's canceled. Your debt is canceled. Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He fulfilled the law. He, fulfilled, he accomplished the law and, and he does all of this on our behalf. The only law we are required to follow is the law of the spirit. You're not under law, Christian. You're under the Spirit. That's the only law you're required to follow. That's why we can't do it religiously. You can't. You've got to get in the Spirit, and you need to follow it. That's the law of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Just get in the Spirit. Everything's cool. When you, admit, when you blow it, admit it and quit it. You have to challenge yourself on the way that you're thinking. 
You have to see that I'm thinking in a way that is not in line with the kingdom. Well, maybe God's wrong. No, I can tell you right now, if your thoughts are against him, the problem's with you. God's problem, God's son paid the price for us to free us. That means our sins are forgiven. There's nothing, say this with me, there is nothing I can do to earn Jesus' favor except accept it, other than accept it. You can't earn his favor. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. The only thing you can do is accept it. He offers it to you. It can't be earned. Galatians 5, it is for freedom's sake. Say this with me. It is for freedom's sake that Jesus has made me free. He wants you to be free for no other reason other than he wants you to be free. That's it. Free. Free. That's the glory. People go, well, what if I believe these things? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the tension off of some of the stuff I talked or I just spoke about. Listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, Christian. You are free. You are free from sin. You are free. This, is, this, this, again, will drive people crazy. This is the Nicoleos, the controlling aspect of our church. We don't understand the level of liberty that Jesus has actually given us because we don't understand the dynamic of sin. Sin, the offense, was removed in Christ. You are no longer offensive to him. You're now his son and daughter. And now you are free. There is no sin that brings condemnation. None. If there's one sin that brings condemnation upon the Christian, we need to throw Romans 8 right out of the Bible. There is therefore now not ever, nor will there ever be, condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in sin. And so the question is, shall we sin? Paul's saying sin brings in grace, spiritual power moving in love. God, empower, God overcomes the sin with grace. And then the argument is, should we sin so that grace would abound? And Paul's like, are you kidding me? You know, that's exactly, of course not. So that's the argument. And what Paul's doing is he's having this theological argument in the book of Romans, and he's talking about grace. He's talking about sin. He's talking about forgiveness. He's trying to get us to understand the level of forgiveness that we have. And the argument back to him, because he's writing to Jews, is they were religious, and they're saying, well, so if you're saying that grace brings sin, grace comes in when sin is there, where sin abounds, grace does much more. Should we sin so that grace can abound more? And Paul's like, you know, get, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. And then they say, well, if we're free from sin, then why can't we, and no sin condemns us, then why don't we just go and sin? Because there's no, we could, we, why can't we just go and sin? And Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Go for it. You want to go drink your brains out? You're not going to succeed. Is it, does, that, does, that, does alcoholism condemn you? Absolutely not. But it most certainly isn't profitable. You want to go out and have your sexual liberty? Go ahead. You need to examine yourself to see if you're actually in the faith. If these things don't convict you, then you're probably not born again. Pigs and sheep, right? A pig rolls in the mud. A sheep cries when it gets in the mud. Which one are you, right? Didn't say you didn't have dysfunctions. But when you, when you, when you operate in your dysfunction, do you go, ah, or do you go, yeah, <laughs> getting quiet in here. I was like, what is this guy talking about? Your choices, your choices do not profit you if they're not in line with God's calling and his word. They don't profit you. You're free. You're free. I'll get, let's get religious. You're free to not, you read your Bible. There's no law upon you to read your Bible. The Jews were bound to it. It was a law put upon them. You shall read it morning, noon, and night. You will teach it to your children. It was a command. You're not commanded. That's, not reading your Bible doesn't condemn you. Not reading your Bible doesn't exile you from the community. But it doesn't profit you either. You're not, so you're not condemned because you don't read your Bible. But you don't profit because you don't read your Bible. You don't hear God's voice. There's a spirit of death and dumb and muteness upon you because you refuse to count, take counsel in God's word and receive from him. It's lawful, but it's not profitable. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to tithe. I'm not condemned because I didn't tithe. They were, they were exiled from the, from the synagogue if they didn't tithe. Rabbis today, do you know they walk around with a ledger and they go to all the Jewish businesses and they sit down and they go, how was business? Oh, business is great, Rabbi, great. What can we expect this year? To this day, the rabbis go around to Jewish homes and Jewish businesses and they sit down with a ledger, the Hasidims, the Hasidics, and they expect them to give. It's required. And if they don't, then they're not welcome in the shul. They're not welcome in the synagogue. 
That's the way it was. You are not exiled because you don't tithe. But you don't tithe, then it doesn't, it doesn't profit you. So it's lawful for you to not give, but it's also not profitable for you to not give. Do you understand what I'm trying to explain to you? Because we want to talk about all of the negative stuff. When we can look at the spiritual stuff and the same thing applies. Grace abounds, Christian. Lawful, but not profitable. Why would you want to do something that's self-destructive? That's the question. Jesus wanted to make you free. And what he says here is he says, stop going back under slavery. Jesus made you free from that. Why are you going back to it? You know what I'm saying? As a dog returns to his vomit, so does a fool to his folly. God freed me from that. I'm going to go right back to it. Ooh. <laughs> Lone Rangers. He defeated death. This is what Jesus did. He defeated death. Sin of Adam caused death to rule over us. But all who receive Jesus, God's gracious gift of righteousness, will live in triumph over sin and death through him. Jesus became flesh and blood, being born in human form, for only as a human being could Christ die. Important. And only in dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. It was only this way. He delivered those who all their lives have been fear of death. Fear, fear of death. You don't have to fear death. I got news for you. You don't have to live in an imperfect world forever. Aren't you glad? Death to the believer is but a doorway. That's all it is. It's a transition moment. Death, there is no sting in death to the believer. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? To be absent from the body is to be present to the Lord. You go through a door, you go through a veil. It's the passing from one world into another. It's that simple. Jesus has paid it. And one of the things that we don't understand is we, when we experience that is you'll really see the reality of what Christ has really done when that transition from life to death, from, from death to life. We don't, we even, here's the thing. Ready? Say this with me. I am immortal. You're immortal. Do you know how many people are trying to live with immortality and Jesus has given away for free? They're putting names on buildings, studying cryogenics, you know, making sure to diet. You know, we got to get, get some yak butter and get a good diet plan in, in here, you know, so that we can live a little longer and all this stuff. Oh, that's great. But immortality isn't because, you know, we spend millions of dollars to have my name immortally emblazoned over a building. And Jesus has handed it out like Tic Tacs. You want it? Come and get it. I'm giving it away for free. To the Christian, I would say this. What you do in this life will echo in eternity. Christians need to face the harsh reality of reevaluating their lives in light of what God has called them to be and to do. It's, it's important. It's very important because we will account for our lives. We will account. We will account. We just think that it's all, everything, not everything's equal in the kingdom, Christian. Not everything's equal. Everybody gets salvation. Everybody gets provision. But there are levels of reward. There are levels of reward. And what we do, in, and I don't know what you want, but I, I, want, I want something good. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be sitting on a barrel in the backyard, you know. I mean, I'm, you know, we're going to be provided for. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to have, you know, everything's going to be good. It's going to be surreal. But Jesus is coming with a kingdom, and the kingdom will be administrated, and the rulership will come through his sons and daughters who have proved faithful in this world. This life is a training ground for the one to come truly is. He destroyed the devil and the power of condemnation. There's no condemnation over you. Jesus has freed you from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God took away Satan's power to accuse you. The only people accusing you is Jesus, is the devil and yourself. If you do something and your heart convicts you, admit it and quit it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse you. If you're doing something that violates your conscience, confess it, repent of it, return to him. What if I do it five times in the same day? What if you do it 70 times seven in the same day? Repent of that. Sin is the violation of the conscience, the internal law. It's the, it's the violation of God's revealed word, and it's the violation of the internal mechanism called the conscience. That's what, that's what sin is. To him who knows what to do is right and does it not, it is sin. When the violation of a conscience occurs, you've sinned. It's that simple. And when you sin, the conscience is convicted, right? And the accuser is right there going, look at you. Look what you did again. <laughs> 
I don't know if it's what I'm teaching, but y'all are really quiet today. It's like super quiet in here. You can be certain of this. God has done a good work in you. He will be faithful to complete it until it's finally this, finally finished. Philippians 1.6, he says, you can be certain. What can you be certain of? Say this with me. Jesus is not giving up on me. Do you believe that? No, seriously, do you believe that? You give up on you, your boss gives up on you, your family gives up on you, your dog, well, maybe your dog doesn't. The cat definitely will give up on you. <laughs> Cat's like, oh, that's what it is? Okay, whatever. Off they go. Then you see them in the neighbor's yard, right? <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> Jesus doesn't give up on you. You can be certain of this. Stop condemning yourself, Christian. Stop condemning yourself. Why do you beat yourself up? You're free. He loves you on your worst day. That's one of the problems with sin is that, you're, you know, when you're free from sin, you can realize you will stop beating yourself up. Why are you beating yourself up? Admit it and quit it. Move on. Get up and go. Play's over. If we, don't we wish life had a, re come on, don't you wish life had a rewind button? You know, even if it's five minutes, you know what I'm saying? Can I, you know, we say something, we do something. Can I back that up just five minutes? Can I, can I? But it doesn't come. So we, we do things. And then we end up condemning ourselves. Don't condemn yourselves. The Bible says this. Who will bring a charge? 833. Emancipation Proclamation chapter again. Who will bring a charge against those whom Christ has chosen? Who can condemn you? Who can accuse you? Jesus has chosen you. And do you know what? He never rejects you. you, you people, I just watched the show and this woman ended up going into, quote, uh, I don't know how to say it. Trafficking, we'll use that one. That's a pretty neutral word. She went into trafficking, right? And they asked her, she became a believer, and she said, I just always wanted to be wanted. And she, and she, she said, when I, then, and then she came to Christ, and she found herself back trafficking again. And she said, because I didn't understand that Jesus always wants me. And so you find the dysfunction coming out of our, own, of our own losses, our feelings of unworthiness and all these things. These are the roots of our dysfunctional behavior. When you realize you're loved and he's got more for you than you could ever hope for, then there's no, there's no you know, and he wants you. He wants you. Do you know what's crazy? You don't want you all the time. Anybody ever get sick of themselves? Come on, Right? We get sick and tired of our circumstances. We get sick and tired of ourselves. Jesus never gets sick and tired of you. <laughs> Some of you need to go, Lord, teach me to love me as you love me. And then when you begin to understand how he loves you and you begin to love yourself as he loves you, you know what you end up doing? You end up loving other people. <laughs> because you, we treat other people how we treat ourselves most often. We have to let the Lord show us how he loves us. He loves us so much. He has nothing on you. My relationship with him has been transformed through those types of encounters. Through religious encounters, through all these different things where I was believing one thing and God's like, I'm not that kind of person, Gavin. I'm not that kind of father to you. Who told you I was that way? Who told you I was harsh? Who told you I was judgmental? Who, who told you I required these things of you? I require your presence with me. <laughs> Kevin, you can't do it. You know, he's telling me all these crazy things. And then you know what I started doing? I started taking the burdens off of myself. He has no confidence in you. I'm happy about that. Thank you, Jesus, for telling me you have no confidence in me. But he has total confidence in his spirit in you. That relieves the problem, doesn't it? Doesn't that take the problem off you? God tells you something and you're like, oh my gosh, I just can't do it. How many Christians give up because they can't do it? I just can't do it. I can't keep the law. I can't fulfill this. I can't be a Christian. I can't be nice all the time. We're supposed to be shiny, happy people all the time, right? Aren't you a Christian? <laughs> God's like, I don't have any confidence in you, Kevin. I have confidence in my spirit in you. Lean on him. Lean on him. You are, let's say this with me, I am loved. I am wanted, and I am accepted. Loved, wanted, and accepted, Christian. You are. You are. 
You have to ask yourself your question. Why do I not? Why, why, why is there a lack of love for myself? Why do I feel in want of any of those things? You come to the school, we'll teach you that. I'm going to just, I'm going to break right now. All power has been given to you, but you have to appropriate it. Christ died for the whole world, but it has to be appropriated. Authority has been given to the Christian for freedom, but it has to be appropriated. You have to take what he's given to you and you have to apply it. Police officers have badges, don't they? Right? You might know what I'm talking about. Okay? If the cop can be sitting at a red light all day long and people can be flying through the red light, that cop has the authority to stop what's going on. But until he actually exercises the authority that's given to him, they're gonna, people will blow through that red light every time. That's the same thing that happens to Christians. Until you begin to exercise what's already yours, until you begin to understand what's truly yours, these things will continue to happen to you even though you have the authority to do something about it. You're loved, you're wanted, and you're accepted. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, Jesus died for you, he loves you, he's fulfilled it all. But you have to appropriate that power. So let's just pray this prayer together. And if that's you, just open up your heart and receive from him. Just say, dear Jesus, come on, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you love me on my worst day. I believe you want me even when I feel unwanted or unwantable. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I let you come inside. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Everything I am, I give to you. And everything that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just pray this real quick. So, yeah, let me do this one more quick, right? I want you to say this. Jesus, show me how you love me. Teach me to love me as you love me. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine down upon you. May he be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer, prayer team available. God loves you. We love you. Yeah, clap it out. And if